morning, everyone. And uh, it's always a privilege to speak in chapel. Dr. Jim put me on for today and tomorrow with the intent that I would preach on music for two days. But as I was sitting Friday night, really asking God to give me some wisdom about what to preach about music, God literally said, no, that's not what I'm going to have you preach on today. Tomorrow I will preach on music. But today he completely redirected where I was going and gave me a burden. If you, uh, I haven't preached for obviously as long as some of the men here on staff, but I've been doing it for a little while. And when you get a burden that literally just comes out and comes, a little, the whole message just comes out in about five, ten minutes. I was sitting there just, I had my only help with my phone right there. And I was just typing it out as fast as I possibly could. My wife was going to bed. And I said, I'll be there in a moment. And about 15, 20 minutes later, I was still typing out some of the burdens that God was giving to me. You know it's from the Lord. And um, I'll tell you this, it's funny because I always, I have, um, a lot of my messages are very specific. But I'll tell you this is why, because I interact with you all a lot. It's not because I have all these like, who can I get preach against kind of thing. Is I have a burden for you all. I'm with you guys a lot, right? Wednesday, 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock. I'm with you all in Symphony, and I'm with you all in Corral. I'm with you all, all some of you in Kids Connect. And I have a burden. I do remember, I'm 32 years old, but I remember very clearly 14, 15 years ago when I came as a freshman. I remember my own struggles. And I remember what it takes sometimes to be a college student. And I understand some of the things that happen. And so this morning, this, this comes from a heart of someone who wants really the best for each one of you. It'll be direct. I'll just tell you that right now. Um, it'll be direct. It'll be really what I feel like what God wants is for us this morning. And I will tell you this. You say, well, Brother, Brother Van, we just came through conference. Aren't we in the best spiritual shape of our lives? Well, either you are or you aren't. That's a pretty obvious statement, but either you are because you made some seriously serious decisions or you resisted God and you're in trouble right now. Um, I would be naive to think that every single person, 100% of the room right now, is locked on with what God has for their life because uh, I was in, the, in your shoes. High school, college, I'm a pastor's kid, folks. I could literally, as an elementary student, walk the walk. I could talk I could say everything you were supposed to say as an elementary student. As a junior high and high school student, man, it was, I could theologically expound a passage. I could preach. I could win competitions. Doesn't mean I was right with God. Doesn't mean I responded in conference. I'll tell you this right now. I, I loved conference time, but it wasn't for the messages. I hated the message times. I hated the prayer meeting times. Do you know why? Freaked me out because I knew I wasn't right with God. I would sit there trembling, the, the, the conviction of God so heavy upon my soul I couldn't hardly take it, that I couldn't wait for that time, boom, we're done. And that Thursday night, yes, it was great, and I was out of there, and whoo, and the conviction started to go away because I was able to escape. And I wasn't spiritually in a better place, I was farther and farther away from God, and God was so good to me to, to get a hold of my heart, and that's what we're going to talk about today. In Proverbs chapter 26, please, turn there this morning, Proverbs 26. Let me ask you a question this morning. How many of you enjoy tinkering with car engines? All right. Pastor Swanson's hand is up. Anybody else? Okay, that's good. Uh, how many of you actually know, okay, be honest. I want you to raise your hand. You look under the hood of a car, and you're like, yeah, I know exactly what's going on down there. Or I know well enough that I can do a little research, do a little tinkering, and I can figure it out. I, if there's a car problem under the hood, I can fix it myself. Raise your hand. You're not, you're not, you're not being proud. You just, okay. I'm not one of those people, okay? 
You probably know that uh, yesterday I was over at Mr. Lorch's house across the street and he was replacing a headlight in the car that he so graciously gave to me. And that's a whole other story in itself. Uh, it was a pretty funny story. I won't go into it. I'll let him tell it if you want to. But, uh, you know, so we were doing that and we were going through all the different details of that, going to the auto parts store to get the headlight. And next to his, my car was Andrew Forrest's car. And the hood was open. I remember before Andrew showed up, he showed up a few minutes later. I remember walking over there and just looking in the, the car. Now, I've looked in a million hoods in my life. Just looked in there and went, how do you fix something like this? You know, you take something apart. Now, I'm, I'm definitely afraid of sparks. I don't care. I'm 32 years old. Laugh if you want to. But I'm definitely afraid of sparks. My first experience with major sparks, I was given a job at 18 years old at a roofing company, and they wanted me to go underneath a several ton, several uh, massive, one of those massive racks that they put massive machinery on to go underneath in the dark, no lights, feel for the little, you know, screws, and what are those things called? I don't even remember what those things are called. <laughs> the sparks come flying out. You have to saw it down to like the, to the wall. I don't know, in the dark, underneath a about two foot crawl space and feel for it and get that thing off. There were sparks. I had no protection on my hands and nothing on my face. This wasn't a very high level safety group people. But there were sparks flying everywhere. I don't like that. I don't like cars doing those things. And I looked in there and I said, there is no way I could ever figure this out, right? So if an engine went bad, don't look at me. I'm, a, I'm the wrong person. But I will tell you this, I do know one thing. If something dings inside my car, I can tell you what it says, right? I, it, it, those, are, those are for dummies like me. Hey, dings, uh, you need to check your oil. Okay, I don't know how to do that, but I do know a, a place that can do it for me. Or I know my father-in-law can check it or look at something. Hey, this dings. Hey, you should check this. This goes off. Hey, the gas. You know, I got to get the, I can do that, okay? Um, <laughs> You'd be surprised how many people have no idea how to put gas in a car. But there's different things on your dashboard, right, that ding and tell you what's going on. Now, a bad engine is a bad engine, right? You, if you don't fix it, it's a bad engine, okay? It doesn't just miraculously get better. You can put a Lamborghini, you know, whatever the top car you want to put on there, body around a rust bucket bad engine. Does it make it any better? Yes or no? You can talk to me this morning. No, it does not. You can put race string stripes on your car. You can put the coolest accessories on your car just, or just, just new fenders. It doesn't matter. You can make your car look so good, but if your engine is junk, your car's junk. Right? I mean, I'm not an expert, but I've driven cars that have had brought bad, bad engines. And uh, if you don't fix the engine, I don't care how good it looks on the outside. You've heard those stories of people that sell, sell cars that look good on the outside, but the engine's gone bad, the transmission's gone bad, and the inside's bad, and they fix it up, they sell it, they get money for it, way over the top, and then the car falls apart a few, few weeks later, or even a few days later, okay? Now, I'll tell you this. If you, don't, if you don't look at those dials and those little alarms and those little things that pop up at you, or those little messages that scroll at you, if you don't take heed to those, your engine's going to die, right? will seize up, something's going to happen to it. Eventually, you always have to be taking care of the engine of your car. And nothing you can do on the outside, nothing you can do on the outside of your car will actually change the engine. Nothing. You have to open that hood, and you've got to go in there, and you've got to do some car surgery, whether or not you do it or somebody else does it. Now, we're going to have a direct application to the spiritual life here this morning. We'll use the car analogy as we go along. Proverbs chapter 26, verse 23, is the spiritual equivalent to what we just talked about. 
Verse 23 says this, burning lips and a wicked heart are like a potsherd covered with silver dross. Say, wow, Mr. Van, you dug deep for that verse today. And yes, and I'm also going to title my message. I don't normally do crazy titles for messages, but it just popped out to me. Broken pottery and the silver glaze. And the reason I want to do a crazy title is I want you to remember this. Broken pottery and silver glaze. That's what I want to preach to you on this morning about the heart, the condition of the heart. Lord, I pray you'd help us right now. Help us to open our hearts, Lord, to what you'd have for us. Help us to see the true condition of our heart. We'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Say, so, what, what in the world does this verse mean? Well, I thought the same thing when I looked at it first, and I was looking up uh, verses about the heart. This is what it means. I'm going to read some commentaries first, and then I'll, um, I'll explain it myself. But there's a, uh, a commentary that talks about the burning, either burning with wrath and malice, breathing out threatenings and slaughter, pursuing men with reproaches and slanders, arising from a wicked heart, or rather, burning with profession of love to God and affection to good men, with great pretensions of kindness and promises of good things. When their hearts are wicked and they design noticing less, say one thing with their lips and the greatest show of affection and sincerity and meet another in their hearts. They are like the potsherd covered with silver dross, which at a distance or to less discerning persons looks like silver and is taken for it when the covering is only dross. And what is within is only uh, really broken pottery, garbage, a piece of an earthen vessel, good for nothing. Such are the specious professions and deceitful words which flow from a wicked heart. There's another commentary that talks about the fact that this, this silver dross is litharge, an oxide of lead used to this day to put a glaze on pottery. And the comparatively worthless article is thus made to assume a fine appearance. Young people, a wicked heart that acts like a pure, it's pure and spiritual heart is like a piece of broken pottery covered in a cheap silver glaze. Not real silver, but just the stuff that comes from the silver, the dross that comes off the silver. The imitation. It looks slightly attractive. Really, it's only fit for the garbage heap. It's kind of like fool's gold. It has the look, but its essence at the heart of it is complete and utter worthlessness. Matthew 15, 8 says this, This people draweth nigh to me with their mouth and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Young person, let me just stop right here for a second. My childhood and my growing up, let me be transparent with you, into my high school years was filled with broken pottery and silver glaze. My life was that all the time. I hate to say it, I was brought up in the most incredible home you could be brought up in with the most incredible opportunities. And yes, I, my heart was, I had a, I had a direction that I was going to go, and I, but I inside was, was, a, was a dead engine. My heart was dead, spiritually, or it was dying as it went along. And God amazingly rescued me. And you say, well, you were way off. No, but I'll tell you this. Knowing what I knew and all the opportunities that I had, the fact that I was going from where, where God had me was a big deal. And I faked a lot through I faked a lot of it through my spiritual life. My, my high school years, I had a heart to do what's right. At least I thought I did. But down deep, my heart was dead. And the Bible says there in Matthew 15, 8, the people draweth nigh to me with their mouth. They're honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Let me ask you a question, young person, this morning. What about you? And this is not, by the way, this is a, this is a time this morning, by the way, do not introspect. Don't do self-introspection. Oh, do I really, do I, did I really mean that last week? No, no, no. Do you have the Holy Spirit inside of you? Okay, can he, can he search you? 
Search me, O God, and try my heart. Is that, what, is that what he does? Yes, okay? This is not about you going, oh, did I really mean what I, st- oh, did I really, I don't know if I really clean, no. This is where you ask God to search your heart. But let me say this, though. I think some of you, honestly, either are tricking yourself or in a tricking other people around you to thinking that your heart is all okay. That you're walking with God. Some of you are living and walking with God. Your hearts are, are full. You're, on, you're focused on what God has for you. You're a conviction to those around you. You're a conviction to those of us on staff. You're doing well. Some of you, you look like those people that are, are conviction to other people, but you don't have the same heart. And by the way, let me say this right now. I'll probably say it a little bit later. But that's, that might be okay. It's not really okay. But it might do okay for you right now in your college years. But take 10 years you're not going to succeed. Young person, if you don't make the decisions right now to fix that engine, that car is going to be on the junk heap in 10 years, right? You can't drive a dead engine. And there comes a point in time, I don't know all things about engines, there comes a point in time where the engine is beyond salvage if you just keep driving into the ground. And young person, I say this every time I preach, I think, but I've seen so many of my friends go to the wayside. Maybe not fully off into the completely into the world. I have quite a few that, that are like that. But maybe just, yeah, turning away from what God has for them. Because their heart was not actually locked on with what God has for them. Their heart was not true. They were being a hypocrite throughout college. They were living a lie. You know, just as a man's physical heart condition is central to his quality of life, a man's spiritual heart condition is central to his spiritual quality of life. Young person, if your spiritual heart is sick, if your spiritual heart is dying, you cannot grow spiritually. You can put on new additions. You can make yourself look good on the outside, and I was been there, and some of you know what I'm talking about. But you cannot fix the outside to try to fix the inside. Young person, you can go forward in an invitation and not fix the heart. You can do all, you can pray in a prayer meeting. Man, this kid gets a hold of God in the fellowship prayer meetings. I knew some people that are so off board right now, it's, it's, it's sad to say, but they, they, they could pray a really good prayer in a fellowship prayer meeting. I'm not saying that people that pray really well or that really get a hold of God in a, in a prayer meeting are not right with God. No, most of them are. But I'm telling you, I prayed good in a prayer meeting. You ever prayed in a prayer meeting and you know you're not right with God? But you just want to look good in front of people? Young person, I know the, the dangers in a college setting. And I'm just burdened that our hearts be true and pure before God. That after a conference, wherever the preaching is intense, and, the, and, the, and every single session, and every single service, the decisions are brought to us. What was your reaction? Did you follow God? What is the condition of your heart? And before you answer that, let me remind you of the following verse, Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Before we start into the meat of this message, I think there are probably Christians in this room that have deceived themselves about their heart. They've told themselves over and over they're fine. There's no issues. You know, there's, there's things blaring. <laughs> the alarms and lights are going off all over the place. Steam's pouring out of the hood. Sparks are flying out from behind. But you think, oh, I'm good. I'm fine. Let me ask you this question. Who in this room is deceiving yourself? Who is allowing your heart to tell you you're fine even though 
you're rotting on the inside. Let me tell you this. The pastor just talked about that we have the most incredible opportunity. I think we do. It's an incredible opportunity. This world is in turmoil, and some of you aren't connected to the news. Probably better for you <laughs> if you're more of a fearful person. It is not the greatest world at the moment, the things going on. But I'll tell you this. It is the greatest opportunity of all time. But young person, let me ask you a question. Are you prepared to actually help them? As a doctor, if you're dying, how much of a help can you be to your patient? If you can't come in to the, to the hospital, how much can you help the people that are in need? If you're sick in a bed yourself, how much can the patients down the hall get your help? And young person, I think there's people in here, these young people in here, that have not, have resisted God's working, either because they just straight up resisted it, or because they've tricked themselves into thinking, I'm okay. Maybe you've been dealt with some of the hurts, the, the, the bitternesses, and you say, oh, I'm not bitter. That's the, one of the most classic lines I've ever heard from young people that are bitter. Oh, I'm not bitter. And maybe you've pushed away some of those, those messages that you've heard and some of those things, and you've heard them over and over, and, and, you've, and you pushed it away, and you pushed it away, and you were in a dangerous place. Your heart is dead. It's dying and almost dead, spiritually. So as we consider the state of your heart today, I want you to ask yourself three questions. They're going to overlap a little bit. And like a doctor looking for a diagnosis this morning, I want you to allow the probing sword of the great physician to find the issue in your heart. And if your heart is healthy and beating and doing great, then I want you to pray that God keeps it that way. And I want you to pray for others around you to, to see any issues in their lives. But I want you to ask God, number one, where is your heart? It's an odd question to ask, but where is your heart? Really what I could say is, what is your focus? What is your heart's focus? Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Young person, what is your treasure in life? What is your focus in life? Well, maybe it's status and acceptance. Oh, that's called ministry. We wouldn't have that. Now, would we? Yes, we would. Status and acceptance. Am I accepted with this person? Does this person like me? That is literally the dumbest thing of all time in human nature. Do you know that? Get with me? Does this person like me? Oh, am I friends with him? Oh, did they? Do, do they? You, ever, you ever thought about how dumb that is? We're human beings, folks. If that person likes us today, their emotions may change. They might not like us tomorrow. Life does not center off of somebody likes me. I was in high school. We used to live that way. Oh, this person doesn't like me anymore. Oh, this friend doesn't like me. Oh, they don't want to be around me. Oh, I'm pushed out of this friend group or these things. And if you're living in that status and acceptance world, young people, your treasure's in the wrong place. If you're living for grades in school, by the way, you will forget about your, I'm not even sure what my grades were. I know what I graduated with, but I can't remember hardly the grades I got, and it doesn't really matter at this point anyways. Okay? I mean, you should do well. You should put your best into it. You should ask God for every single bit of strength that you possibly can with your grades, and that's God's will for you. But if you are all focused on getting the A or the highest grade you possibly can, because you have to get that. And if you don't get it, oh, don't look at my paper. Well, it's probably number one. Number two, though, your treasure is in earthen vessels. It's the wrong thing. Physical looks. Maybe you try to make yourself look the best, wear the things that you think will make you be accepted around you. Ladies, hair, makeup, dress, guys too. Be surprised how many guys think that in the back of their minds. I want to look really sharp. It's good to have a, a sharp thing. I'm wearing an orange tie today. You know why I'm wearing this orange tie? It's not for you. 
I'm telling, I promise you that. Ask my wife. I'm like, should I wear this orange tie? It's because it's my wife's birthday. I'm very happy today. And I'm excited. And I always wear ties to match my mood, which is typically they're bright. So I always read it. I'm serious. I like bright ties. Keep it in mind. If you want to buy me a tie, don't buy me like a dark, you know, dark tie. I don't like dark ties. If you want to wear them, that's great. Me, I like them bright because I like to have a cheery, bright personality. Okay? That's what I think that's what God's given to me. And uh, I like that. So, but what are you wearing it? What, who are you wearing it for? My wife would tell me about the times in high school and even early college where she would make decisions at her wardrobe based on what other people would think. That's horrible. If your focus is on that, oh, what's this other girl going to think if I wear this? I'm going to look frumpy. I don't know. You know, when you get married, you know, people, people say, you have a stain on your, on your, on your suit. I'm a dad. I don't, I don't care. My wife's like, you probably should get those things dry clean. You know, take care of yourself a little bit. I'm like, oh, I don't care. You know, I, I do care, but at the same time, if my wife thinks I'm cool, I don't care what everybody else thinks. It's like in the all-star game. We talk about the fact, you know, with those us old fat men running around, we have wives. They think we're cool just to sit on the bench in a jersey. Well, I don't care if I score two points. My wife's like, yeah. And Lauren's like, yeah. And Junior's like, yeah. And I'm like, great, we're good. Nobody cares if I score two points anymore. I don't need the acceptance of that. I can't even make it to the basket now anymore, okay? If I may, I'll check in and I'll check right back out. But the point is, where's your focus? Where's your acceptance? Where's your, what do you want in life? Where's your heart? Literally, I know there's people in this room that get up in the morning and your first thought is, oh, what are they gonna think? Oh, what are I gonna tell them? And everything's based off of somebody or something or some situation and not God. I will tell you, it's telling. Literally, before you leave the dormitorium, before you leave your house, if you went through your thought process today, that can really give you a lot of, of clues of where your heart is. Friends, just kind of dealt with that. We'll deal with more of it later. By the way, friends will move on. True friends won't. But true friends are what you want to be around. And true friends, by the way, and I'll talk about it in a moment, iron sharpeneth iron, speaking the truth in love, I'll get to that in a moment. Pursuit of money, you say, that's funny, Mr. Van. We're in college. We don't have money. It doesn't matter. What's your pursuit, right? What's, what's the God? What's, what do you serve, right? What's your focus? What are the right treasures we can have? Well, we know these. Personal walk with God. And it's really, it's really all or nothing. We don't have to say have some of these and some of these. It's all or nothing. We know that we serve God. We serve the world. But personal walk with God, souls. Really, heavenly treasures keep your heart focused on God. I use this illustration of this, of this man all the time, but Tom Johnson. There's, there's really no man that I know of that is so unbelievably stark <laughs> when you meet him in his focus on the right treasure, right? You go with him to some place, and there's no like, oh, let's, let's you, know, you text him. Try, try, just try to get a hold of him. <laughs> it doesn't work. Here in the States, especially. There's things you can't do. You know, for us, we text somebody like, oh, well, checking our phone every Oh, there it is. Okay, I got to text back. You text him, he's probably witnessing to somebody. Where's his treasure? You know? I go on an airplane. My treasure. Ah, oh, sleep. Whew. Listen to music, right? Personal space. He's like, where can I talk to you? Where can I talk to you? Where can I come? They get saved. You've heard the illustration all the time. Where's your treasure? When your treasure is, there we will hurt me also. That's who he is. That's where he's put his investment, right? If you put your investment in the stock market right now, you're just going like this. 
Yesterday, you lost 2,000 <laughs> points in the stock market. Today, it's gone back up. But it's going all over the place. And it's not a pl good place to put your treasure at this moment, right? If you have investment stocks right now, maybe you do, you're going, you know, the whole thing is just going up and down. It's like a roller coaster ride, right? If you put your treasure, uh, you know, whatever you put your investment in, that's where your heart's going to be. I'm going to invest myself in. Maybe it's people. What, are you investing yourself in a, in, in a person? Are you, and I've talked to many of you about this. Sophomore class, Kids Connect, who are you investing in in this room? When you leave this room as a, in May and the year is over, who is going to be impacted by your life? Is your treasure yourself and what your life is? Or are you looking at somebody, your classmate, in need who desperately needs help, who desperately needs time, who desperately needs prayer? You say, hey, I'm going to help them. You say, I have no time. No, you do have time. You, you don't have time not to help people. Your life is all about people. If you, have never, if you have never in your life touched in a positive way, in a deeply spiritual way, a fellow college student, you've missed the boat in college. You say, I'm a freshman. doesn't matter. I was a sophomore in college. I've given this illustration before. I was a sophomore in college, and a, and a staff member came up to me and asked me, are you making fun of this particular student? I said, oh, no, sir, I, I wouldn't do that. I said, no, I never, never did, never would. He said, okay, I want you to help this particular student. Study for an exam. <laughs> Inside, I'm like, oh, boy, okay. So I did. Helped that student with an exam and uh, became a friend for life. I sacrificed for that friend. Help happened many other times as well in college where this person was in need. And you know what? I was busy. I hadn't been, that's always the same in my life. Busy, busy, busy. But I'll tell you this when my focus is right, people is the focus, right? Some of you are so burdened about your schedule, 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 this, this. What about the people? You got to go, oh, I got to get this done, get this done, get, check this box, check this box. What about your classmate you just got run over by you as you just walk out the door and they're sitting there looking at an exam saying, total failure. There are so many kids in my high school years that I went, went past. I knew better, but my heart was wrong. My heart was dead. College had changed. I told this illustration before, but I'm going to tell you this. I had a young person come to, my, to, to the parking lot of a church in Pennsylvania. He drove up. I think that's all he was just last year. He drove to the parking lot last year, uh, 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 our ensemble. I think it was, um, I don't remember what year was it, 2018? I think it was 2018 with you guys. He drove up to our service. Car, car pulls up. I'm like, who's this? Guy jumps out, and I'm like, I haven't seen you in 12 years. He came, he said, I heard you guys were in town. I just wanted to come say thank you for what you did for me in college. What do you mean? He said, your encouraging words and your encouraging spirit all the time to me changed my life. And it's the only reason I am where I am today. And I thought to myself or told my wife later, I'm not even sure what I did. I don't have recollection. I know I was nice to him. He was in my fellowship. Young person, you have no idea. He came out of his way for three minutes of my time just to say thank you. And I don't even remember it. What about the people you actually do remember, that you do invest in? The lives you can change. Folks, we're not talking about just a person. We're talking about a person who gets married and a family and a ministry and thousands of people around the world. You could have an influence right now. They're sitting next to you. Nah, but I'm so busy, man. You don't know my problems. That's the problem we have right now. Where your treasure is, there your heart be. If your treasure is in your own self, your heart's going to be right there and dying with it. But if your treasure is of the other people, I'm telling you, right, that's, that's where the heavenly 
That's where the heavenly help comes. That's where God can help. So where's, where's your heart? Number two, who has your heart? Proverbs 23, 26, my son, give me thine heart and let thine eyes observe my ways. Proverbs 3, 5, trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. Proverbs 16, 9, a man's heart deviseth his way, but the Lord directeth his steps. Young person, let me ask you right now, does God have your heart? Does God have your heart? If you were to, if God were to say, I want you to go to, and he fills the blank. I want you to go serve me in the, the streets of San Francisco. You know what San Francisco is like? It's like a third world country. And you're not to live in a nice place. You're to live next to the homeless. And you're to reach them. It would be probably the nastiest, one of the nastiest things you could do. Or I want you to go and start a church in the slums of Johannesburg. one of the most dangerous places in the world. I want you to go, and whatever God would tell you to do, young person, if, you, if God has your heart, you know what you would say? Yes, sir, I'm right at it. Let's go. This is exciting. This is crazy, but this is exciting. This is amazing. But how many times has God said, okay, don't do this, and you're like, hmm. can I take a rain check on that one? Because I don't know about that. You say, well, I would never say it to God. Did you last time he said you to go talk to somebody about the tract? I have before. What about when God leads you to give money, a certain amount of money in an offering? Eh, God, I only have that. Right, that's why I told you to give it, because that's all you have. How many times do we fight God? If you fought God in something that he's led you to do, you know that he doesn't have your heart. Do your parents have your heart? I'm a big boy and girl. I'm, I'm, I don't have to. Yeah, no, this is the time your parents should have your heart. Now, first, let me stop right here and right at this point. This point is hugely important. Number one, God has to have your heart. Because if God doesn't have your heart, your parents won't have your heart either. I will tell you this. The Proverbs 20 26, my son, give me thine heart and let thine eyes observe my ways. I think it's really, really, really important. And it goes, there's a, let me see here one second. I'm just trying to find the uh, passage here. What's the next verse? For a war is a deep ditch and a strange woman is a narrow pit. Not, all, not always is it a strange woman and those different things. But I will tell you what, young person, if you do not give your parents your heart, God, is, God don't be deceived. God is not mocked. What you, ever, what you, what you start sowing, you're going to reap. You're going to go off in the ditch. It may be as bad as a strange woman and those things. And it, by God's grace, it wouldn't be. But I'll tell you what, God, for a purpose, has given you your parents. And I don't care how old you are. I was 25 when I got married. And by God's grace, my parents had my heart. Okay? That wasn't perfect. I had my issues. But I will tell you this. You have to, by the way, you have to give them your heart. Did you know that? Don't say, well, I'm going to wait for them to come to me. That's not their responsibility in your mind. You should go to them. And young person, I've challenged you about this in choir times and other times. But when is the last time you had a long conversation with your parents? I don't, I don't, it just feels uncomfortable. There's a problem. If you cannot get on the phone and do something other than ask for money or complain about the school's rules, you got a problem. On that second point, let me just bear in for a second. Young person, if you text or call your parents to complain about the rules of this school, let me just say this real strongly. 
they don't have your heart and guaranteed you're turning around and complaining about their rules to somebody else. That happens more than we know in this college. Dr. Jim used to preach about it a lot, and I'm going to say it right now. I'm very burdened. Young person, if you complain to your parents about, you say, well, I talk to them. I share my heart. The, the, the burden's up here at school. No, you're complaining. You say, well, my authorities aren't perfect. Right. You aren't either, and you're going to be one too. It's called human nature. If you have a problem, God is there, and your parents, I'm young person, if you complain to your parents and say, well, no, 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 you're driving a wedge, actually, between you and your parents. Did you know that? If you complain about your authorities, you complain about the things in life, you are not, and I, I promise you, that those you complain to your parents about your authorities complain to your friends about your parents. 100% of the time I've seen it happen. 100% of the time. Those, parent, those, those people with their parents rolling their eyes, yeah, my parents, look at the rules they have to put on me. And they're the ones that complain to their parents about the authorities. Young person, I know young people in this room who aren't perfect, but when an authority says something, it's all right. You know, they might not be perfect. I had a lot of imperfect authorities growing up. Did you know that? I turned out okay. It's okay. It happens all the time because we're all human beings. I have a two-year-old daughter, and I'm not perfect. I got frustrated with her yesterday because she was a little bit frustrating. You know what that's called? Imperfect parenting. Guess what? I asked for God's grace, and I apologize to her. But I will tell you this. Right now, you do not... You have not given your parents your heart if you're living in that world of complaining. You're not living in that world of, if, you're, if your parents, if all you do is call them or text them, hi, doing well, yep, ate this for dinner. When's the last time you shared your deepest life needs with your parents? Who's the people that you share your life needs with? Your parents or your friends? Who needs to hear them, by the way? Your friends or your parents? Well, my parents won't understand. Er, alarm bells. Your friends would understand? You've known your friends for two months. Somehow they have the corner on your life. Your parents known you since you were, you know, in diapers. Okay? I got them. <laughs> I got them right now in my, in my little house. Uh, I know my kids. And I can guarantee you when they're 18 and in college, I will know them better than any friend that thinks they know them better. That, that always cracks me up. Oh, yeah, my friend just understands me. You know what that's called? Bitterness towards your parents. Somehow you have pushed away. And young person, it's not going to get any better when you get married. And I will tell you this, you might be the best kid in this place, but I'm telling you, if you are not locked in with your parents, you've got something wrong in your life right now. You cannot go forward in your marriage, in a marriage in the future. You cannot go forward in your ministry unless your life is locked heart and soul with your parents. You say, my parents aren't easy to get along with. D is there something in the Bible about that? Well, if your parents aren't easy to get along with, you can not give them your heart. I know people who had unsaved parents. I think about Jessica Reed. Had an unsaved dad. And gave her heart to her dad as an unsaved dad. That's an amazing thing. She didn't, he didn't understand, but she gave her heart. She was my classmate growing up. I mean, look at what happened. Got married to Zach, and look what, look what God's doing in their lives. An amazing, amazing story of what God's doing and how he's saved. And it, it just, it's, just, it's, it's incredible. Young person, what are you doing with that? Are you giving your heart to your parents? I will tell you right now, young men, if your parents don't hold your heart, your wife won't be able to hold yours in the, in the future. 
Young man, if your mom does not have your heart and your dad does not have your heart and they don't know all the issues of your life and you can't talk freely with your parents, then your marriage is in serious jeopardy. Ladies, the same way. Ladies, when's the last time you had a deep daddy-daughter talk? When's the last time you and your mom talked about the things in your life that needed work on? Well, I'm not really a deep... No, you need to. Folks, If you, you need to start now. Marriage is not all this, like, peaches and cream thing. It's great. It's amazing. I've been married almost eight years now. I can't believe that. It's amazing. But along come kids. Along comes life. Along comes all kinds of things. And if, you don't, if your parents don't have your heart, your spouse won't in the future, and things will start to fracture very easily. I praise the Lord that I was able to get my wife's whole heart. Praise the Lord for my father-in-law, who was burdened. Throughout the entire time, I'm going to get my daughter's heart. I'm going to get my daughter's heart. He gave me the whole heart. My wife didn't make all the right decisions growing up. You've heard her story. Some of you girls have heard her story. And yes, parts of her heart splintered, and she gave it. Her dad got it back, and she gave it to her dad, and they got it back together. And on that wedding day, when I grabbed her hand for the first time, he put her hand in mine. I got her whole heart, and she got mine. Young person, let me tell you right now, who has your heart? Do your friends in here have your heart? Oh, man, I, they're the people that understand me. They don't understand you more. What about a other girl or guy? I mean, I'm not going to spend a long time on this, but what about, what about another gender? Well, you have this little high school flame going on in your heart. Under the radar, because this is BCM, can't have that going on. Young person, let's just skip the yet, right or wrong. You know how foolish that is? You're going to break your heart. That's not who you're going to marry. And if it is, stop doing it now, because you don't want to get used to that right now. Let God lead. Let God lead. Psalm 57, 7, my heart is fixed, O oh God. My heart is fixed, settled on God. I will sing of, and give praise. Psalm 73, 26, my heart and my flesh faileth. You ever been there? But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. I love this verse. 1 Samuel 14, 7, Jonathan and his armor bearer, right? Jonathan's going after the Philistines. And what does his armor bearer say to him? Do all that is in thine heart. Turn thee, behold, I am with thee according to thy heart. Young person, it's time for you to call your parents and say, whatever you want, I'm with you according to your heart, not mine. Then you might have to send over the AEMTs to revive your parents and then talk some more. Because sometimes, actually, with more kids than I know, in here that we want to know, I haven't probably told your parents that. Mom and dad, wherever, whatever, Whoever, I'm in. But I can't trust me. You can trust God. Some of you in here are the best parents you could ever dream of. Give your heart to them. Some of you, it's a struggle, and I don't understand what you have to go through. God does not make mistakes, though. You can give your heart to your parents fully. Psalm 37, 31, the law of God is in his heart. None of his steps shall slide. Number three, what's in your heart? We talked about where is your heart, the focus, the, the focus direction, who has your heart? And number three, these all obviously do overlap at times. What's in your heart? What's the spiritual condition, <coughs> excuse me, of your heart? Matthew eleven twenty nine talks about this. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. Jesus is talking about how his humility. What's in your heart? Pride? Humility. Pride? Humility. In every situation of life, where are you at? We could talk about this. We talked about it a little bit. But what's in your heart? What are you known as? Evil versus good, Matthew 12, 34, 35. He's talking to the Pharisees, oh, generation, excuse me, of vipers. How can ye, being evil, speak good things? 
For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. A good man out of the good treasure of the heart bringeth forth good things. An evil man out of the evil treasures bringeth forth evil things. Young person, I will tell you this right now. You are what you say. And you cannot, you may say, well, I'm, I say good things. What about behind closed doors? You say things that are not right. You complain, you hit back about authority, or you just you have a bad, sour attitude about life. Whatever comes out of your mouth, that is a biblical principle. Whatever is in here has to come out, young person. It will come out. That should be a scary thought or a good thought. If you're overflowing with, with goodness from the Lord and the Holy Spirit is, is fills you and you're filled with his power and his strength and his joy, boom, what it comes out, man. Excitement and thrilled about what God's doing. And you can't fake that, by the way. You can fake it, but you know what I'm talking about. The real people, the ones that are like, okay, they're, they're putting it on. Or the ones that think, this person, whew, that's amazing. I love that. Or the person just, first reaction, something happens and bam. This little side remark at the, at the dinner table. Or a little roll of the eyes. With the abundance of the heart, the heart's evil. And it coming out is the evil in the heart. Worldliness versus godliness is what we're going to segue to tomorrow. First John 2.15, love not the world, neither things that are in the world. If any man love the world, love of the Father is not in him. Young person, don't kid yourself. The love of the world takes away the love of the Father. What do you love? The world's music? Love the world's dress? You know, BCM does not stand for stuff just because it's fun to stand for it. Did you know that? If we were in for the fun of it, we wouldn't have the rules we do because it's not fun sometimes. You know, it's not fun to enforce rules. Did you know that? Some of you have never enforced a rule in your life because you're still a kid. When you're an adult and you become older and you come over, I was never good at enforcing rules, okay? The older you get, the more mature you get, the more you want to enforce rules. I think because I got kids. I think that's what happened. You want to enforce rules. You know why? You want to help people. I have a little boy who wants to lust, loves to touch cords. Do you know, I don't care what anybody thinks. My role in life is to make sure he doesn't do that. Why? Because I like my little almost one-year-old to stay alive. Right? I want my little boy. He goes towards a little, those moving, you know, uh, you know, you have a chair. What's the moving ottoman? What are, what are those things are? For your feet. And it's moved back and forth. If he stands up on that thing, he's going to topple on his head. Okay? So I looked at him and said, Daniel Jr., do not go there. And it was a little battle. He's a very obedient little boy, but he looked at me, and he went to it and touched it. Well, Mr. Pow Pow later, he learned his lesson, and I said, go to Mommy. And he, he cried a little bit, but he looked at, the, <laughs> looked at the, the offending article of furniture, moved his head, and went straight to Mommy. Now listen, i got to help him. Got to help him, guide him, and, and, and do those things which, which are, and it's not, it's not easy to enforce the rules sometimes, but young person, I will tell you this, we enforce rules, we do these things, we stand for something because it's right. Do you want to be like the world? Where is your heart? Do you want to dress in modestly, girls? Do you want to wear the things that are provocative just because the world says it's right? Where is your heart? I used to talk to my, my wife when we were at a campus uh, of a camp one time, in 2013, and my wife was the only lady in a skirt. The only one in a skirt. The, I mean, they weren't just in, like, grandma pants. 
tight jeans. Like, it was, my wife looked very strange on a fundamental Baptist Christian camp. I said, I looked at her and I said, do you feel strange? And she looked back at me and said, are you kidding me? No way. I'm like, all right, this is my wife right here. Right here, I'm proud of her. She'll see you like, I'm not, are you kidding me? They're the ones that are messed up. The point is, and she wasn't going to learn that all around, but in her heart, she was strong about what she believed. She wasn't going to go off of it. Well, they're all wearing pants. Should I go wear a, buy, wear, a, buy a pair of pants? You say, I would never do that. Or they're all wearing short skirts. Or they're all wearing skinny, skinny, skinny jeans, guys. You say, well, are they that bad? Are they? Okay, the point is, if your heart's not in the right place, you're going to be wearing that and much worse. Everybody listen to the world's music and much worse, Right? Your heart's not focused. Let me tell you this. The point is not exactly what article of clothing. The point is not exactly what song you listen to. The point is, is your heart where God has it to be? And when you can fake it, you can be like a Pharisee and live in a, a hypocritical life, but I will tell you, God looks on the heart. And God knows. And young person, the proof's in the pudding. Ten years from now, 20 years from now, what's going to happen? Psalm 66, verse 18 says, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Proverbs 23, 7, for as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. Proverbs 4, 23, keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Guard your heart. Jeremiah 29, 13, ye shall seek me and find me when you search me with all your heart. Search me, O God, know my heart. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of thine heart. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit in me. Verses about the heart. Asking God, I want the right heart. Create a clean, is your, is, it's your focus, Psalm 51, 10, create in me a clean heart. 1 Samuel 16, 7, the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not in the countenance, or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. God, man looketh on the outward appearance, but God, Lord, Lord looketh on the heart. Young person, you might look good here at BCM. But could you be a rotten heart inside? You could be a rotten engine inside. Ephesians 6, 6, Not with thy service, as men please, but as the servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. A heart that is pure and true. Repeat this again, just as the man's physical heart condition is central to his quality of life. A man's spiritual heart condition is central to his spiritual quality of life. What's the condition of your heart? Burning lips and a wicked heart are like a potsherd covered with silver dross. You know, it'd be kind of foolish if you were driving a car to wait till it died completely to take it in, right? And all these alarm bells and all these things going off. Young person, conviction is the alarm bells of your life. Authorities sitting you down are the alarm bells of your life. Messages are the alarm bells of your life. The little lights flashing on the dash. Let me ask you, are you going to wait until you're spiritually dead and God has to pull out the heavenly defibrillator? By the way, I know from experience and watching other people's lives, that does not feel very good. At all. Because sometimes the defibrillator hurts somebody else. Sometimes God has to take somebody else. Sometimes God has to touch somebody else in your life and you go, this was all right, this was my thing. Young person, you might have ignored God all week last week. And I'm not here to say that this message is going to change your life. Let me just say this though, I'm burdened. Where is your heart? When you're 32 years old like I am, the decisions you make are literally based on the decisions you make right now. You're going to mature. You're not going to be as foolish. Things will, you'll, be, you'll grow up. But that's not what makes the difference. 
It's the spiritual decisions, the direction of your heart, who has your heart, what's in your heart, where your heart is, your treasure is. That'll make all the difference 10 years from now. So what's the condition of your heart? Is it a piece of garbage with a little silver glaze on it to make it look like it's pretty good? Or is it a beating, throbbing, spiritual heart that courses blood through your veins and gives you excitement and overflowing joy and passion for the things of God? Every head bowed, every eye closed.